Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I just confess I'm in need. I'm in need of your help. Help me to speak as an oracle. Would you stand here and hold my hand, Jesus? Let me speak as one that is filled with your word and speaking the very words of heaven. Now I ask, let the spirit of revelation, wisdom and revelation, let it rest on us this morning. This room be filled with your presence. Instruct our hearts in truth. Instruct our hearts in truth. Release light and revelation of the great hope that we have in Christ. And we give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, good. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to continue on the path we've been on the last several weeks, talking about the age to come. This morning, I'm really excited about this message because I'm getting to talk about one of my favorite subjects, one of the, I think, funnest subjects in the scripture, and it's the the topic of uh, the glorified body, the resurrection from the dead, and the fact that we get a glorified body is, to me, one of the coolest ideas uh, that's a central feature of our faith. The, The writer of Hebrews says it's an elementary principle of Christ, and I'm amazed at myself about for how long I went on as a Christian and never really considered the implications of what it means to experience, A, the resurrection from the dead, but B, the glorification of my body. That is something that's coming for all believers. And what a huge point. We can easily overlook this fact, but guess what? When you die physically, and though we may all physically perish, some may remain until the Lord returns, but uh, probably most of us will physically perish. Who cares? Because you're getting resurrected. And from the other side, from eternity's side, the little bit of time that you stayed dead, whether it was 500 years or 50 years or five years, it's going to seem like a glimpse compared to infinity. You're like, yeah, I was dead for a minute. My body was dead. I was with the Lord in spirit. But then I got resurrected. I mean, think about this. Look at the person around you, next to you. They will for sure be raised from the dead. That's cool. That's not a maybe point. That's a massive point. Hebrews 6 is very clear. This is an elementary point. Every one of us is getting up. We're all going to get up from the dead. (laughs) I remember years ago, Russ Taft did this old spiritual song. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to get up out of the ground. I like that. We're all going to get up. And this, it's amazing to me how long I spent as a Christian without really even taking a look at this idea. Just kind of, yeah, resurrection from the dead. We all do that. You know, I mean, just making it this, this sort of standard idea. That is a phenomenal idea. What a powerful idea. That we're all going to get up from the dead. This is a major promise of Christianity. There is a future appointed day when we will be resurrected. 
Though our physical bodies may die, we will be resurrected. And that is a promise that we set our hope upon. And I love the scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4, and verse 13. It says, in regard to people that die, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope because we know we're going to be resurrected. And so... What I see so much, I mean, this is, this is the human plight. We are so locked into this age. We're so locked into our 70, maybe 80 years. We're so focused on that one little glimpse, the, the vapor of this, of this age. You know, the Bible says life is but a vapor. We're talking about life in this age. It's but a vapor. Appears for the moment and then fades away. But we're so locked into the vapor. We're so locked into the shadow that when, when believers pass, I mean, we grieve over the loss of a friend that we're not going to be able to spend the, the rest of our time on this, on this earth in this age with them. But beloved, they're going to get up from the dead. We don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope. And what he's talking about is those who do not see the resurrection to life. We don't have to sorrow in that same manner because this thing is sure, this thing is secure, just as sure as the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead, you and I too will be raised from the dead. And so it, it changes our heart posture and we're able to connect uh, ourselves to hope in a way that we don't if we don't see the resurrection. And people live totally hopeless, totally, totally focused on this age because they have no picture of the resurrection. Furthermore, we have the promise of glorification. And it's not just that you get up out of the ground. We were talking recently with uh, uh, some young people and talking to them about the resurrection of, of the dead and, and, the, and, and the glorified body. And, and she said, so we're going to get up, we're going to be like zombies? I go, oh, no. Oh, not even close. You're going to get up out of the ground and your body is going to get kissed with glory. (laughs) And glory is going to pour through every pore and fiber of your being. Somebody asked me, so do we still have the Holy Spirit? Fully have the Holy Spirit. He is permeating every inch, every crevice of you. I mean, he's fully infusing you with light and life. It's not only that you get up out of the ground, you get filled with glory. And these promises are central promises in the New Testament. Paul takes whole chapters uh, in, in several letters and dedicates them to the discussion of the resurrection of the dead and the glorification of, of our bodies. Romans 8 is one of them. 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll look at in a minute, is another one. 1 Thessalonians 4 is another one. It goes on and on and on, and he he continues to point to this central piece of our faith as a major anchor of hope in our soul. And I think this, when we live without vision of that coming time of resurrection and that time of glorification, we just live hopeless. We live without real vision. Beloved, this is a promise that's beautiful. It's a major promise of the scripture, and it's for us, and we need to get a picture of it. One of the things that I think that's so interesting about the fact that we get a resurrected body is this. If we were only going to relate to heaven in a spiritual sense forever, you wouldn't need a physically resurrected body. You can do that with your spirit. 
fact, Paul said to be absent from the physical body is to be present with the Lord. And you, you, you can flow in with, with the throne room as a spirit being. But the thing about it is God gives you a resurrected body so that you can seamlessly flow back and forth with the heavenly realm, the new Jerusalem, and the earthly realm with, without any kind of you know, hiccup. You seamlessly flow back and forth between both realms. So the resurrected body, kissed with glory, enables you to move in and out of the throne room in the new Jerusalem and in and out of the natural realm in the earth. You get the physical, temporal reality of a, of a natural, it's not temporal, you get the, a physical body and you get a, uh, the, the, the kiss with glory feature that enables you to go in and out of the throne room. It's, it, the, the, the resurrected body, the glorified body, gives you the ability to relate to both realms seamlessly. It's a great testimony of the coming age and the, and the point that we will connect to the Lord Jesus uh, uh, on the earth in his, in his earthly reign, but also flow in and out of relationship with the Father in the New Jerusalem at the same time. So th- this idea that we actually get this, uh, it's our same body resurrected and glorified, it's just a powerful, powerful thought. Now, as I said, the writer of Hebrews calls this idea an elementary principle, Romans 1.4 says that the resurrection of Jesus is the, the central feature, the key issue that declares him to be the son of God. So I want to think about this term resurrection. Say resurrection. I was just saying it in my office this morning. I was going, oh, resurrection. Oh, resurrection. Oh! I was, this, it was just such a... Yeah! Say it again. Resurrection. That's a cool thing. It's the key thing that testifies of the deity of the Lord Jesus, the fact that he was resurrected. When Paul is on trial, you can read it in Acts 21, 22, and 23. When he's on trial in Jerusalem, and he realizes he's got a group of Pharisees and Sadducees in the room, The Sadducees believed there was no resurrection. The Pharisees believed there was. So Paul says, looking at the group going, man, I'm in trouble, but he goes, I know, I'm on trial because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And he cuts the group right in half. And the Pharisees, they go, well, what if he did, you know, see an angel or, the, you know, had an encounter with, you know, the, 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 you know those that have been resurrected. And the Sadducees, the Sadducees say, no, there is no resurrection. And they get in, in a fight, and Paul gets delivered out of uh, uh, that council meeting, ends up going to Rome. And he preaches the resurrection all the way to Rome. That becomes the central feature of his defense, that the resurrection is true and that Jesus has been resurrected and that he is truly God. Jesus explained this, and I'm just going to, the scripture will come up for you. You stay in 1 Corinthians 15 because we're going to spend most of our time there. But in John 5, Jesus describes the resurrection. He actually, he clearly taught about the resurrection because uh, when he went to raise Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus' sister said, yeah, I know that he'll rise again, talking about Lazarus, at the last day in the resurrection. Jesus goes, I am the resurrection. (laughs) He goes, I give life to whoever I want. Bam, roll the stone away. So he does some resurrection right there. But uh, Lazarus' sister had it in her mind that, hey, resurrection's coming for everybody. Because Jesus had clearly taught it. And in in John chapter 5, Jesus says this. In verse 28, he says, don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming. 
And what, he said, what he's saying not to marvel at is the fact that the Son of Man had life in himself and he could give that life to whoever he pleased. He, then he goes, don't marvel that I'm saying this. He goes, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Talking about Jesus, talking about himself. He goes, they're all going to hear my voice and they're going to come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I want to give a little parenthesis here. All are going to hear Jesus' voice at some point in time. The righteous will come to a resurrection of life. They're going to get up from the dead. They're going to come alive, and they're going to be glorified. They're going to have a glorified body. The unrighteous will also be resurrected. They get a resurrected uh, body, not glorified. This is what Jesus taught, and it's corroborated by Paul. The unrighteous also get resurrected. They have a resurrection of condemnation. So they actually have a resurrected body by which they experience, this is horrifying, the terrors of hell. They don't just experience the terrors of hell in a spiritual way. They experience the terrors of hell in a spiritual and physical way. The Lord gives them a resurrected body so they can spirit, soul, and body experience the terrors of hell. Ha! <laughs> That's why G, uh, Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we try to convince men to serve the Lord Jesus. There's a time of judgment and resurrection. So let's focus on the resurrection of life. We'll talk all about hell some other time. We get resurrected. The, uh, Revelations 20 calls it the first resurrection. When we get resurrected, it's at the same time that the Lord Jesus comes. And I want to walk us through how that happens. And when we get resurrected, we get a glorified body. You know, I just want to give another little parenthesis. Romans 8. When it says all creation is groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. How many are familiar with that verse? That's talking about the resurrected body. The glorified body. All creation is waiting for the children of God to receive their glorified body because at that same time, it says the creation will be delivered from bondage and enter into the, various, the, the, the very liberty that the children of God are going to enter into. In other words, the creation itself is going to have glory on it just like the believers are going to have glory on them. The whole creation's groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, the glorification of the body at the resurrection and at the, at the resurrection of the dead and at the return of the Lord Jesus. And that's what Romans 8 ends up being all about is our uh, inheritance, our promised inheritance of having uh, a glorified body, a glorified uh, physical body. Powerful, powerful chapter. So how does this work? Well, here's what happened. Paul, he's uh, writing to the church at Corinth. And some of the believers at Corinth did not believe there was a resurrection. And he, he describes that in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, and 13. He goes, how is it that some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? He goes, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. Some of the believers in the church at Corinth, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So Paul takes the whole chapter and breaks down the issue of resurrection and the glorification of the body. And so how does it happen? Paul gives us a little bit of the explanation in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to look at it. So turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. And then we're going to also look at the other major 
chapter that gives the, the one, two, three, four, five on how this happens. So I want to read the verses and then I'll just explain it. So 1 Corinthians 15. This is an important section of scripture. It's, so, it's exciting. I love it. Verse 49. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's talking about Adam. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That's talking about Jesus. As we've borne the image of Adam, we shall also bear the image of Jesus that, that Jesus currently has. Talking about we're going to get a glorified body in the same way that Jesus has a glorified body now. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about just corruptible flesh and blood. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Look at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die. That's what that means. But we shall all be changed. Many, many, many will die. Some won't. Every one of us will be transformed. Every one of us will be changed. In a moment. How does it happen? In a twinkling of an eye. When? At the last trumpet. Book of Revelation gives us clarity. There are seven trumpets. Paul had the picture by prophetic revelation before that. Before John wrote, he said, when, this is going to happen at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we, talking about those that are alive, shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. What do you mean must? Because we've got to relate to both realms. We've got to relate to the heavenly and the earthly. You've got to put on an immortal, incorruptible body to be able to flow back and forth between the new Jerusalem and the earthly realm. Now look at 1 Thessalonians 4. He gives us a few more details. And then I'll just walk us through how this works. This is so cool. 1 Thessalonians 4, come up on your screen, verse 13. Here he goes. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, Jesus, those who sleep or who are dead in Jesus. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So those who have died in Christ, they go first. That's what he's saying there. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. <laughs> you know those dreams you've had about flying? They were prophetic. <laughs> Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Look at verse 18. Comfort one another with these words. He's trying to deal with the issue of hopeless sorrow. <laughs> Overseeing your life is only consisting in this age. All right, so here's how it works. When the Lord Jesus comes back, 
at the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet, an archangel will shout at the same time that that trumpet blast is blown. The Lord will descend, and other verses tell us he's going to come with myriads, thousands and thousands of angels. Verse 14 tells us he's coming with all those who have died in Christ, all the Old Testament and New Testament saints. So essentially, beside the Father and the four living creatures and the 24 elders, heaven empties out when the Lord Jesus comes. He is a procession of billions in flaming fire heading to the earth. Whatever you saw in that movie, whatever one it was, when everybody sort of disappeared and what happened, that's not what the scripture says happens. He is coming in flaming fire with myriads of angels and all the saints. It says it right there in verse 14. All those who have died in Jesus are coming with him. On the earth, the dead rise first. Now here's the question. If you have those that have died in Christ coming with Jesus, coming from heaven with Jesus, and on the earth you have the dead in Christ rising first, how can you be in two places at once? Your spirit is with the Lord. Your body is on the planet. Your body gets up out of the grave. You return with the Lord, and you meet yourself in the air. This is just cool as can be. Side note. You've heard the stories of the guys that have had near-death experiences. And they say, yeah, I was looking at myself. You know, I floated up, and I was in the corner of the hospital room, and I looked down, and there I was. And I was thinking I was in the air, but I was on the bed. I could see myself. What is that? Their spirit had come out of their body. They were looking at their physical body while they were in spirit form. The spirit, when you're in the spirit, you don't think, man, I'm not a, you know, I don't have like a body anymore. They almost didn't even notice it is the point. You're so much a spirit, your body is just your shell. So, (laughs) I love this. Those who have died in the Lord, Old Testament, New Testament saints, they come back with the Lord. On the earth, the dead in Christ rise first. Here's what happens. It doesn't matter if you were decapitated. It doesn't matter if you were incinerated. It doesn't matter if you died a thousand years ago and, you know, a thousand years worth of being in the grave. Your body instantaneously reconstitutes. That's fun. Your body then comes up out of the ground and flies into the air. You are flying with the Lord and angels. Here's what's better. Everybody on the planet that's not going up in this resurrection is going, what the heck? There are billions of bodies flying up. There's angels in flaming fire and spirit beings flying down. The Lord Jesus in flaming fire and glory filling the sky. Of course the scripture says every eye will see him. It's going to be the coolest thing ever. I mean, fireworks are like boo compared to this. (laughs) You will fly with the Lord 
out of the new Jerusalem, heaven will empty out, minus the Father, living creatures, and 24 elders. Heaven empties out all the saints, all the angels, in a fiery procession of glory. You fly out into the air. Your body gets reconstituted, kissed with glory, and your body flies up, and you go back into your body, and you meet the Lord in the air. The guys that are alive on the earth, they're just standing there going, yeah, and bam, they go flying up, instantly change. We all congregate in the air with the Lord. That's cool. This is way better than I thought. I want him to do a movie just on that. Because the version we got where it's like, you know, everybody disappears, there's some like empty clothes right there where the guy was. It's like, boo! Give me the flaming fire reconstituted glorified body flying through the air with angels and bam, meeting the Lord in the air and fire everywhere. Give me some of that. Because that's what's going to happen. Your, if you die before the Lord returns, let me just be, I, I'm, I'm excited about this. Let me just bullet point it again for you. Your dead body will be reconstituted. That will be raised and glorified. It will fly up as you fly down I don't know if you go in your mouth, if you go in your eyes, just top through the top of the head, how that works. You go back into your body. From that moment forward, you're forever with the Lord. I mean, if that's all we got to do, I'd get saved just for that. That is really awesome. So that's what these verses and others identify for us. Now it says when the Lord returns, he's bringing his reward with him. Multiple verses say that. And so there's a time in the air of actually rewarding of the saints. That actually happens in the air. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is going to give us specifics of how that reward works in an instant. There's an instantaneous um, explanation of how, how part of the reward works for the glorified body. But let's do this. Let's work through from the verses some of the details of the glorified body. You know, I turn 40 in a few months. No, just stop. I remember when 40 was like stinking old. And I'm like, 40? Hey. Okay, that's not so bad. Like, I remember when it made sense when they put the, like, the tombstone in the guy's front yard because he was turning 40. It's like, oh, man, so old. And I'm like, 40, still young. You know, if you're a senator in 40, you're just young. Of course, if you're an athlete in 40, you're <laughs> broken down old horse, glue factory for you. Anyway, <laughs> so you get a little older and your body doesn't quite work as well in certain ways as it did before. You know, you're, when you're 20, you don't even realize there's no such thing as out of shape. You eat McDonald's every meal and you can still run a mile. It's like no problem. When you're 40, you're like, dude, 100 yard. It's not even a dash. 100-yard limp, and I'm dying. Well, this is why the concept of the glorified body, not the concept, the truth of the glorified body is so powerful. Because you are right now experiencing something that in a minute you'll never experience. It's called corruption, physical corruption. In a minute, you will never experience physical corruption again. Oh. 
Let's go through the details. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 again. Look at verse 49. I want to give you a couple verses. Because the, the, we get a bunch of details from 1 Corinthians 15, but we also get a bunch of details from how Jesus operated on the earth after he was resurrected and how, after he was glorified. And so when we look at Jesus and his glorified body, it gives us details of what somebody in a glorified body can do and what they look like. And somebody said, well, but that's Jesus. Yeah, but the Bible actually tells us that we will experience uh, a glorified body just like what Jesus has. First Corinthians 15, verse 49 again. It says, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, in our natural physical body, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Talking about the glorified body. We are going to actually put on a glorified body just like what we saw Jesus have after his resurrection. Let me give you another verse. You don't have to turn there. It'll come up on your screen. Philippians 3, verse 21. Talking about the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. According, how does he do it? According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You know how you've heard me say he's going to rule the globe. He's going to rule the globe. The very same power that he has that he's going to exert over the entire planet is the same power he does, that he releases upon you and I that causes our body to be glorified. So our bodies are going to take on a similar state to what we see that the Lord Jesus has after his resurrection and after his body is glorified. So let's go through and let's get a few of the details. The glorified body just starts simple. It's physical. It has tactile reality. What does that mean? When Jesus appeared in the room after the, after the disciples were afraid and they were hiding, and Jesus comes and appears in their midst after his resurrection, after he's glorified, he says, touch me. Touch me. Feel my hands. Put your hand in my side. Feel it. And don't be doubting, but believe. So there's Jesus raised from the dead. His physical body is changed. He is in his physical body. And he appears in their midst. Man, the implications are a bunch. But the very first one is this. He has a physical, tactile, glorified body that you can touch and feel. It's, it's physical. He is at the right hand of the throne of God right now in that glorified body, the one that can move back and forth between heaven and earth. You and I are not going to be wisps of smoke. We are going to get our body <laughs> resurrected and glorified, and it will have physical, tactile features. Just like the Lord is able to be touched and felt, just like they touched him and felt him, talked with him, saw him, you will have that same style of body. It's actually the body you're in right now. It's just going to be way better. You're in version 
you're about to get version 1000.0. It's going to be good. But it will still have those physical features. I like this part. Remember when they're out fishing and Jesus is on the beach. He goes, have you guys caught anything? They go, man, we've been fishing all night. Boo, haven't caught anything. He goes, cast it over there. And they don't know who he is yet. Some guy on the beach saying, hey, cast the net over there. They're like, whatever. Throw it in. Bam. 250 plus fish. Almost breaks the net. They look back. They go, that's the Lord. Come on. Peter jumps out of the boat, starts swimming. They go to the shore. And what's Jesus over there doing? Cooking. He serves them breakfast. Broiled fish. You know what we get to do in our physical glorified body? Eat. Come on. Isaiah 25 tells us that the Father himself will make a feast of fatty meats, the choice pieces of meat, and wine. He'll do it on Mount Zion on the earth It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. The father prepares the meal. Guess what? It's not just to look at. It's to eat. So a little side note. Begs the question. Do we have to go to the bathroom? I don't think so. Because I think you've got so much glory going into you. You're more like an incinerator. And all the nutrients that go in, you just, your body just goes, yeah. And just, it's not even that you need that to sustain you. Your body just disintegrates. It's kind of hard to think about having to go to the potty with a glorified body. So that's my theory. I don't have any verses for that, but it's my theory. It's a pretty good one. You just combust all the food that goes into you. just, Just combust it. But you get to eat really good stuff. Jesus said, he goes, I'm not going to drink this wine again. Talk, at the last week, he goes, I'm not going to drink this again. Until when? Until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We're going to drink some wine. I don't even like wine now, but I guarantee you, I'm going to really like it then. It's going to be so good. So we get to eat. We get to drink. We have, a, we have this glorified body that actually has physical tactile features. Now, another little feature about it is, and we see this in Jesus, it appears that the glory that's on your body is able to be adjusted depending on the situation. For instance, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, they don't even recognize him. He just looks like some regular guy. It's post-resurrection, post him being glorified. They think, they can't even tell who he is. He starts unpacking the verses, unpacking the scriptures. They can't even tell who he is. He breaks bread with them, and then he's gone. They go, that was the Lord. When Mary sees him, she thinks he's the gardener. Okay? So it's, it's as if he's got the glory knob volume turned way down. When John sees him on the Isle of Patmos, John, his best friend, who at the Last Supper laid his head on Jesus' chest, 
the, the beloved disciple, John, closer to Jesus than anybody, when John sees Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, he turns and he sees one with hair white as wool, face shining like the sun, eyes burning like fire, feet glowing like bronze in a furnace. He sees him and there's glory coming off Jesus at such an extent that John, his best friend, falls down as a dead man. I guess Jesus just turned the volume up. But it appears there is the ability for the glorified body to have more glory at certain times. In other words, you turn it up or turn it down. I like that. That's fun. Feeling bright today? Bing! <clears throat> you'll be feeling bright every day because you'll be interfacing with the Godhead in a way that you can't even imagine. Another thought? Another detail, Jesus apparently walked through walls. He may not have actually walked through the wall, just reading it in John 20 when he shows up in the midst. It just says he appeared in the midst of them. So you have this ability to travel either walking through a wall, which probably I guess you could do. You can walk through a wall if you can just pop up in the middle of a group of people. You obviously could just walk through a wall as well. But you have this ability to travel Though you have this physical body, you're able to move through the physical realm in a way that's different than what you can right now. For instance, if you try to walk through that wall right now, you would never make it. You need something called a door. Jesus did not need a door. He just appeared in their midst. That seems to be a trait that you'll have in your glorified body. You'll be able to move through the physical realm in a unique way. You don't need doors if you don't, want to, if you don't want to use a door. I'm sure you can use a door if you desire, but you can pop up in places. It's really good for hide-and-go-seek. You wanted to scare somebody really bad, bam, you know, full glory, you know. But what a fun idea. You can move in and out of the physical realm in a way that you can't now. <laughs> There's a verse in Isaiah 60. I love this verse. It's talking about the glory of the earthly Jerusalem in the next age. And right there in the middle of it, it says, Who are these who fly to their roosts like birds? And I believe it's Isaiah seeing a picture of, of the age to come, the glory uh, that's on the physical earthly Jerusalem, but he's actually seeing people in glorified bodies flying in the air. I love it. I love that idea. I um, take a couple laps around the planet just for fun. So you can walk through walls. You can likely fly. You can move through the physical realm in a way that you can't right now. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 42. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It has raised a spiritual body. Powerful. So let's just work through that for a minute. 
your current body is corruptible. Your current body is on a, uh, a pattern of decay. It is degrading continuously. You're aging. Physical things in your body are, are more challenging to do as you get older. This body you have is a corruptible body. It's going to break down. Eventually, you will physically die. That's part of your physical, natural body. The body, I should say it this way, when your body gets resurrected and glorified, it is no longer corruptible. It's incorruptible. Now just say that word, incorruptible. Incorruptible. You and I are going (laughs) to... Put on incorruption. Our bodies will no longer decay. It will no longer degrade. What does that mean? Stuff like fatigue, age, sickness, weariness. Revelation 21 says even pain. None of it anymore. You're not going to get tired. Because you are permeated glory. Somebody said, well, do we sleep? Like, I, you know, I don't know that you sleep, but I'm sure you rest. The Lord has a great value on rest. But your body will not fatigue the way it fatigues now. Your body will not degrade the way it degrades now. You're not going to need, you know, a quad shot <laughs> venti to get you rolling in the morning. You're going to be filled with the glory of God. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus is going to be quickening you in a powerful way. I love that. What does that mean? It means you get to run as far as you want without getting tired. I'm going to be able to slam dunk the basketball. Your body is going to be able to do stuff you couldn't do before. All, I mean, just let your mind just let your mind go with that for a minute. Like, think about what that means. No fatigue, no weariness, no no de- no no decay in your body, no corruption. All the possibilities are limitless of what y- your body will be able to do. Your body is sown; it dies in corruption. It's raised without corruption. Oh, I love that. Powerful. Well, what else? It says, it's sown in dishonor, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in glory, it's raised in power. When you get resurrected, you come alive from the dead, and the glory of the Lord hits your body. Every fiber of your being will be permeated with the glory of God. All of your pores will be saturated with glory. When we die in this age, though our death is precious to the Lord, the Bible says that, that the death of the saints is precious to the Lord, we die as ones that have been overcome by death. Think about it. Death has killed us. That's how you die. You've been overcome by death. That, in a sense, that's what he's talking about, this dishonor. It's sown in dishonor. In a sense, defeated by death physically. It's sown in weakness. You die in weakness, showing your frailty. What's coming is this. 
incorruption, the inability to die, the inability to decay, and you're going to be kissed with glory. Every fiber of your being is going to have the glory of the Lord coursing through it. Your mind is going to come alive in a way you can't conceive of. Your capacity to receive and encounter heaven is going to expand exponentially. You are going to be physically alive, filled with life, and able to encounter God in a way that you and I only dream about. I love the, the concept of the brain. You know, they tell us we use 8 to 10% of our brain. What's the other 90% for? For when you get kissed with glory, the other 90% opens up and you're able to perceive the Godhead in an exponential way. You're going to wish you had more eyes so you could take in more. Your brain is going to be, and and in that state, still glorified, fully functional, you are going to be overwhelmed. I imagine the Lord, just for fun, sometimes will be going, man, you like this glory? You're going, ah, it's about all I can take. He goes, really? Just hits you a little bit more. You know, now we sort of manifest. The Holy Spirit touches us, and we go, whoa, I feel a little, and we, we have these, we feel this stuff. You got the glorified body, your capacity is like out here. I mean, you can receive from God. You're interfacing in the throne room of the uncreated. You're flowing back and forth in love, power, fire, glory, light, fragrance, sound, smell. Bam, it's all hitting you, and you can receive it all. And I think sometimes the Lord just goes, hey, you're not manifesting. Take that position. You just get a little bit more just for fun. Your capacity is going to explode. This idea that it's going to get boring, (laughs) that's crazy. Because you are going to be able to receive in a way that you have never imagined. For now, we see through a glass darkly. You know what the glass darkly was? In the ancient world, the glass darkly was a polished piece of metal or silver. That was the best mirrors they had. They polished them up real good so you could see your reflection. The glass darkly was a polished piece of metal. He goes, now we see God like through this glass and it's, it's darkly, through this polished up piece of metal. But then, face to face. Now, think of it. God told Moses, you can't see my face, you will die. If Moses had seen the face of God, he would have been incinerated instantly. There's coming a time when your capacity is going to be so greatly expanded. The glory of the Lord is going to be moving through every fiber of your being. Your your, your conception, your brain is going to be opened up in a way you've never conceived before. Your soul and your capacity to receive from heaven is going to be opened up in a way you've never thought about before. And you are going to be able to first-hand, first-person interface with the Godhead. Oh, What does he mean? Sown in weakness, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, raised in power. You have no idea how good this is about to get. Beloved, we haven't even lived yet. We haven't even lived yet. We haven't even begun to perceive yet. We haven't even begun to receive yet. Oh, I mean, we get the Lord's presence. We're going, whoa, I can't take I barely stand. God's going, yeah, that was one-tenth of one-tenth of one-tenth of a drop. We're going, whoa! In a minute, you're going to stand in fire, in the throne, 
right there in that throne room. You're going to stand there. Jesus says, you'll be with me on my throne. We're going to stand in the presence of the eternal fire and be able to receive. And forever, forever, you are going to be thrilled with the greatness of our God. The Bible says his greatness is unsearchable. You, you, you can't get to the end of it. So your heightened capacity, receiving, you're glorified, you're receiving at a measure you've never been able to stand before. It's overloading every circuit, and that's day one. And this goes on infinitely. You're just going to have to take a couple laps around the planet just to sort of work off the extra buzz. You know what I'm saying? Like you get, you know, you feel the word like, man, I'm just charged up. You're going to have to like, man, I'm just going to take a lap. I'll take a couple laps. Okay, a little bit more, Lord. I mean, you're just going to be overloaded forever. The concept that this thing is going to be boring is so painfully bad. Oh, I love it. Possibilities are endless. What does it mean to be permeated with glory? Oh, man, the food is going to taste better. The sights, the sounds, the, the throne room encounter. Oh, it's going to be so incredible. All right, last little feature. 1 Corinthians 15, look at it again, verse 41. This is interesting. Paul talking about the resurrection of the saints, the glorification of the bodies, and he says this. There is one glory of the sun, one glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Look at this. One star differs from another star in glory. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Now, 1 Corinthians 3 makes it clear that there is a uh, different set of rewards that each individual gets in, this, uh, in, the, in the resurrection based on how they live their life in this age. The level of faithfulness, the level of love that you learn to, to walk in in this age will dictate whether your works stand or whether they are burned up. One of the most fearful thoughts to me is this. There will be people that have supposedly lived their whole life for the Lord Jesus. They'll show up on that day with a mountain of works. It'll look interesting to, to the human eye. It could maybe be a massive skyscraper of works, but it's made of wood. And God goes, good, let's just test the work by fire. The fire is my love. Let's see how much of what you did was done for the love of God rather than for the promotion and love of yourself. Let's see how much of what you did was done for the love of others and giving your heart away in love rather than for your own benefit. Let's see how much of what you did was uh, in faithfulness to what I asked you to do rather than for your own performance. Let's just take that skyscraper and let's just put a little heavenly fire on it and let's just see what's left bam in an instant their whole life's work it'll be revealed as tried by fire some their whole life's work will be burnt up in one instant and it says yet they will be saved as by fire so that's one way that we'll know the rewarding of the saints another way is this and this is what Paul is identifying here in 1 Corinthians 15 Daniel also talked about in Daniel 12, but it's this, that the righteous, the righteous will shine like the stars 
in the next age. And Paul says, and the glory of those stars will differ one from another. This is what it's like in the resurrection. And the point is this, beloved, you and I, we're gonna be changed in a moment, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ will rise. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up. We'll all be in the, Lord, uh, in, the, in the sky. Together we'll meet the Lord. And everybody's body will be glorified. And some, their glory will be outstanding. And some, it'll be glorious, but it'll be dull compared to those that are shining. You'll, just like when you look in the, in the sky and you see the stars at night and the stars are brilliant and some are outstanding and some are just there. They're all glorious, but some receive a greater measure of glory and beloved, it is, is based on their faithfulness and their love in this age. You'll not be able to lie at the judgment seat and say, everything I did, I did for you. He goes, really? There goes the fire. Let's see what's left. Oh, we got a few jewels in here. Oh, most of that we got burned out. Bummer. And then you look around and you go, man, that guy's bright. And you look down and you go, I'm bright, but man, he's bright. You're not going to be able to fake anybody out. Because the guy that's next to you that's shining bright, you know what I'm saying? You're going to get it instantly. This guy was faithful. This guy lived in love. You'll have glory. But there'll be those that shine outstandingly compared to others. There's a different glory on, uh, on each person in the resurrection. It's part of our reward. We, we all get, we all get uh, uh, white garments. Some shine brighter than others. It's powerful truth. Can you imagine? Because he says in that day, I mean, imagine this. He says in that day, they will suffer loss. talking about the resurrection of the saints. How, when you're getting resurrected from the dead, you're getting a glorified body, how is there a suffering loss? And it's because their works were burned up. And the way they spent their internship looked like foolishness in light of the age and ages to come. So it begs the question, is the way that you're spending your time and your money, does it make sense in light of the age to come. You imagine living your whole life just to present to Jesus your life's work in an instant it's gone because you're saved as by fire. Enter into the joy of your master. There's a moment there where that, that critical time at the judgment seat of Christ is going to be really intense. So that's why we live in meekness and humility and love and giving it away in this age because there is a time where the judgment of God will be according to truth. And the bodies that we get in the resurrection, they differ from one another just like stars in the sky differ from one another. Jesus explained it in the parable of the four, the four soils. And he talked about those that receive reward, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, some nothing. That 30, 60, 100 fold return, that's not about this age. That's about the reward you receive in the next. Because of your faithfulness and your love, the way that you lived your life. Oh, I tell you, that's why we persuade men. That's why we call people to righteousness. That's why we call people to faithfulness. Beloved, there is such a beautiful, amazing, stunning inheritance. But I tell you, I want, I want to shine. 
I don't want to be one that's suffering loss in any sense. I don't want to give my life's work to the Lord, have fire hit it, and him go, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. There is a varying degree of reward that the saints receive, and it's based on how you spend your life in this age. That's a truth you've got to swallow. You've got to swallow it. Because then it'll compel you in a different way to live in love. It'll compel you in a different way to live in faithfulness and, and servant-heartedness. Amen. All right, let's stand. Mm. This hope we have is an anchor of our soul. The resurrection of the dead. The glorification of our bodies. We're going to receive a glorified body by which we're able to perceive and receive such an expanded way that you and I have never dreamed. All the corruptible features of our body are going away. And this corruption will put on incorruption. This corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal put on immortality. You'll never die. Come, Holy Spirit. Release revelation of these things to our heart. Oh, let us see that we're playing for way more than these 70, 80 years. Let us see the age and the ages to come. Compel our hearts with love. As you said, Lord, in Ephesians 2, that in the ages to come, you might show us the riches, your grace, your kindness, and your love toward us. Come, Lord, release revelation to us.